Uh, Luke 2, verses 8 through 13. If you need a Bible, the ushers are always happy to bring you one. If you uh, don't own one, please keep it. If you want to give it away, please get, keep it and give it away. Um, but we're in Luke's Gospel, so Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament, chapter 2. <coughs> We're going to start in uh, verse 8 and read to verse 13. I had high hopes of going further than that. It didn't happen. So we'll, uh, we'll get there in a couple weeks. Next week, actually, just so you're aware, Paul Walton, the gentleman who uh, just shared um, about the, the picnic and, and the things we're going to do, he'll be bringing you God's Word. And uh, I think I'll be relieving Patty with the musical worship and uh, playing for us. So let's read... Um, Starting in verse 8, Luke 2, down to uh, verse 13, and then we'll pray and get started. (coughs) And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Let's pray. God, we oftentimes are not sure how to diagnose our problem. We come up with all sorts of answers, but none of them deep enough. In the Gospel of John, you tell us that Man's biggest problem is that the wrath of God abides on him because of his sin. That we are born in rebellion against the one we were created for, against the one we need most, against the one who can heal and save. And so wrath abides on us. But we're here this morning because we believe with all our heart that you have provided the remedy. We have been saved from God by God. You've provided a substitute, a wrath-bearing substitute in the Son. And in place of abiding wrath, there is now abiding 
peace. God, would your peace reign in this room today because of the blood of Jesus Christ? Would your peace be ours? Would we join in singing with the angels, glory to you because you've brought peace here to us. Well, you have to do this, Lord. It's sovereign mercy that draws us to the Son. And I pray today you would do that through the preaching of your word. power of your spirit for the good of your people and the glory of your name amen um i'm just going to get us right into this text um and we'll uh we'll make notes as we go along um but i i did i want to dive right in sometimes i have introductory notes today not so much Um, we last time followed the narrative through verse 12, okay? Um, when we looked at this idea of Christ as, as, as shepherd, these shepherd guests and the, the shepherd king and then the shepherd sheep, we looked at, um, at the text through verse 12. And now we pick it up in verse 13. And up to this point in the narrative, a single angel um, has been speaking to these shepherds, addressing these shepherds, right? Along the same lines uh, of the pattern that we've kind of seen throughout the infancy narrative. Um, if you recall, it was a single angel that showed up to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist. It was a single angel that, that arrived, um, uh, appeared to Mary to announce the birth of, of Jesus. And then it's this single angel, we're not told it's Gabriel, more than likely probably is, that shows up to these shepherds on a hillside in, in Bethlehem. <coughs> and so up to this point, precedent's kind of been set and we're seeing it, and then verse 13 happens where something unprecedented takes place. It's almost as if now that the announcement um, that this child has been born, all the stuff that chapters 1 and parts of chapter 2 have been leading up to, Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, that child is born. Now that that announcement is here, that Son is here, it's as if heaven itself can't contain the joy. And so what we see is that immediately following this announcement, the child is here, we read again this there in verse 13. Suddenly, there was with the angel, the single angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. So it's just like, it's like you got this one guy out here kind of doing his thing. And that's, I mean, that's fearsome enough, right? Uh, that, that's enough to have the shepherds go, Oh my gosh, and he has to say, Don't fear. Just one. It's like, but if you didn't catch what's going on, it's like the curtains just kind of drop behind him. And all of a sudden he sees, you know, this massive, innumerable amount of, of, of this kind of angelic choir of God. And they're singing and they're rejoicing in what 
is going on. They're rejoicing in this child and who he is, what he will do, God's plan. Now, I have just a couple of questions for us <coughs> to ask of this text. Um, and, and these questions are going to kind of guide my observations as we make our way through. It's just two questions. The first is, when does the angelic choir appear? And the second, what does the angelic choir sing? I'm just going to go into that here. Let me take the first one then. When does the angelic choir appear? I actually think that the, um, the sequence of events here helps us to understand the events properly. The angelic choir, or this host, which is quite interesting, it's, it's the army. This is a singing army announcing peace. It's pretty awesome. But this angelic choir doesn't show up too early, doesn't show up too late, shows up right on time. Little curtain boy pulls it right when God wants it to be pulled. And I'm asking the question, okay, when? When was that curtain pulled? And then we'll get to why. What moment, what moment are the, is the angelic choir revealed? If you look closely, it's not immediately following what you might call the announcement proper there in verse 10 and 11, which is, hey, there is this child. Um, he's been born unto you, da- you know, in, da- in the city of David, a Savior, Christ, the Lord. You think, okay, that's, that's a good place. Let him do it there. But it's not there. There's a little bit more that takes place there in verse 12. And this is what immediately precedes the, the revelation of this, of this choir. It's the disclosure of a sign, of this sign by which the shepherds are going to know you found the right baby. Okay? So, so just like before, again, following the pattern of these other announcements where, where the angel shows up to Zechariah and tells him a sign, gives him a sign that what's going to happen is going to take place. Shows up to Mary, gives Mary a sign. You're going to see Elizabeth. She's got a child too. Now they give, they give, uh, the angel gives this shepherd, these shepherds a sign. And it's after giving this sign that the full, the full choir, if you will, is revealed. The sign is, as we've been looking at in the previous weeks, what? This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now it's after that, curtains drop. And I'm saying why? Why there? Why now? Why bring in the heavenly host at this point? Here's my thought. Here's my thought. I imagine that when you hear this lofty figure, just, I mean, the, 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 the Son of God, the one who's going, to be, who's going to be Savior, Christ, and Lord, and you hear he's going to be born, and this is the sign, he's going to be found in an animal's feeding trough. You're kind of starting to think, did I hear God correctly? Am I on to this, right? Or am I, did I just have some bad Wheaties this morning? I'm not feeling too good. Something must be wrong here. This lofty king in the lowest of all places, how could that be? 
And so in my mind, it, because the sign is not what anyone would expect, it's as if God at this point says, hey, if, there are, if there's any doubt in your mind that what is about to take place is of universal cosmic significance, I'm going to bring in the cosmos, the universe, to testify. You have not misheard me. The highest of the high is going as low as he can go. It's being announced to little little shepherds with little sheep in a little town with a little baby in an animal's feeding trough. And yet, heaven itself, the highest of the high, is brought in to testify. You see in this? So I think, I think the timing is important because God wants to assure us, don't miss, don't miss what I am doing in the incarnation just because it doesn't look all that fancy to you. You want to know how fancy it is to me? How important, how special it is to heaven? Here you go. So don't you look at it and go, oh, just a baby in a, in a stable. This is, this is kind of, we're being melodramatic here. This doesn't seem that big of a moment to me. It's bigger than you could ever imagine. That's what's going on right here. <laughs> now, here's what's kind of interesting. In the angelic choir, he provides something, I think, for the visual learners among us and the auditory learners among us. Let me show you what I mean. For the visual learners, I think the scene actually kind of illustrates what's taking place in the incarnation. Again, he's trying to make sure we don't miss what's happening in this little baby. And here's what he's doing. Here's, here, this will help the visual learners out. What's happening in the incarnation? Heaven is coming to earth, right? God is coming in to man. I mean, the two are starting to merge here in an unprecedented way. And so what is, what is kind of illustrated for us in this angelic choir, but heaven now opening up to earth. Heaven coming down. The two starting to merge. So the visual learners can kind of see, whoa, when I looked at the little baby, I did not see this. But okay, <laughs> now I get it. And the auditory learners among us, you see that the angels do more than just illustrate the meaning that, um, <coughs> I'm sorry, the, the merging of heaven and earth and all that's happening in the incarnation. They actually start to sing about it. They start to sing about this merger. They start to sing about God and man coming together, heaven and earth. And you see it there when you look at the lyrics of their song in verse 13. And kind of notice this poetic parallelism that takes place. Let me show it to you. Read it. Glory to God, they say, in the highest, the highest place, heaven, okay? And on earth, peace among, it says those, in the Greek it's men. So, and on earth, peace among men, okay? Now, do you catch this? Catch what's happening. It's kind of these, these poetic lines in this song, and there's this parallelism. parallelism. You have glory to God in heaven, if you will, and then you have peace to men on earth, down low. 
So you have heaven and earth coming together. God and man coming together. All for His glory and our peace. And all of that is taking place, is centering our attention on this child. The incarnate Son of God. So the visual learners, I'm starting to see this. The auditory learners, I'm starting to hear this. Heaven is coming down. God is here with man. So here's the question. (coughs) Do we miss it? That's where I want to linger for a moment with you. (coughs) Do we miss it? You see how God is so jealous to to focus our attention on the incarnation. He doesn't want us to miss heaven merging with earth here, though it looks so foolish and weak and nothing to us. He's saying, this is so significant. The question for us, again, is do we then miss it? We say, no, of course, that's why we're at church. We see, we see Jesus. We know he's all that. And we, we're here. We love him. We know he's God. But I want to probe a little deeper because receiving him here in Bethlehem is just the beginning, right? It's just the beginning. What we see is that a certain principle, a certain principle is put in place at the incarnation that we dare not miss, though we are often so prone to. Namely, hear me on this, heaven breaks into earth in the humblest of forms. God is at work in the smallest of things. Do you hear me? Heaven breaks into earth in the humblest of forms. God is at work in the smallest of things. That's incarnation, yes, but that principle continues to carry on. It's how God's kingdom is going to work in this world during this age until he comes <laughs> to conform it all into his glory. This is why Jesus will tell his disciples, if you want to turn there, um, two gospels back in Matthew, Matthew 13. Jesus tells his disciples this. It's a parable. Matthew 13, verse 31. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Did you hear that? The kingdom of heaven, this massive This massive force, this massive reality starts out so small that nobody even sees it. Nobody even thinks it's significant. This little mustard seed. So just give it time to grow. And this thing's going to get bigger than you imagine. In fact, fact, that's why we read in Revelation, in not so long the kingdom of the world shall become the kingdom of our Lord. Don't have any doubt just because it starts small doesn't mean it's going to end kind of small and we're all going to be going, that's it? 
We gathered every Sunday and gave our lives for this. No, no. This kingdom is going to encompass the cosmos. Okay? It just starts looking so small. This little baby in a manger in Bethlehem has initiated a cosmic revolution. And he calls us into it. But here's the thing. In so doing that, he recalibrates our values. Okay? He recalibrates our values. So now, it's not the big. It's not the flashy. It's not the powerful, the wealthy, or the externally righteous that God values or we value. It's that, it's that kind of lowly, humble, broken faith in God and love for others. That's what the incarnation represents, is the Son coming and just submitting Himself to the will of the Father. Trust in Him, love for man. And it looks like nothing to natural man. Why would we work so hard to get there? I want to go rags to riches. I'm not going to work hard and go from riches to rags. Our values start to be recalibrated when we see how this kingdom works. When we start to become a part of this cosmic revolution that this little baby in a manger has begun. Think about this with me through the Gospel of Luke. I'll just touch down a couple of spots, meditate with you on this principle. It's not the religious leaders who are so busy with all their work in the temple that fulfill God's commandments, we see. But it's the despised Samaritan, right? It's the lowly, despised Samaritan who pauses his plans to care for a neighbor in need. This is Luke 10, 29-37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's not the guy who's do, going to the temple doing all the stuff. You look at that, we look at that, we think externally righteous, really important. God loves him. He says, I'm sorry. I'm looking for the humble, broken, trusting in me and loving neighbor. Simple little stuff that most people just pass right on by. I see it. And you know, I thought about this when I said, oh my goodness, that is so convicting for me. I'm in ministry I'm busy at the temple. And so often what happens in my life, I'm sorry guys, I'm I'm sorry family or whoever, I'm too busy serving God to serve you. There's some legitimate prioritization that has to happen, so don't hear me say that that's always wrong. But what I find is that I'm often so ready to serve God, but on my own terms, in my own way, not in, not in faith in Him and just love for others, but my own agenda. This is where the glory's at. Let me get there where people will see me and I can be presentable. And well, No one's going to see me. Why my baby's bottom? You know, she's not a baby anymore, but you know what I mean. And so he's saying... God, or God's telling me something, God, you, you, Nick, you want to serve me? Put that commentary down. Put your arm around your wife. That, that makes heaven start to sing. Might feel so small, insignificant to you. 
heaven singing in that moment. Another example, this principle playing out. It's not the praying, the fasting, or the tithing Pharisee that's justified before God. But it's that downtrodden tax collector. You remember him. I love him. We'll come back to this guy all the time. He's in the back. He just can't even raise his head up to heaven because he's so ashamed, so broken over his sin. And he's just beating his chest, Jesus says in this parable. Just saying, God, forgive me. I am a mess. I am a sinner. And Jesus says, that's the guy. That's the guy. It's not the one who's got it all right and doing everything good and thinks he's great, fasting, tithing, praying. Ministry leader. He's got all the patches on his vest. He's got it. It's not that guy. Don't look with the eyes of the flesh. I'm looking at the heart and I see this brother back here on his face. And his heart's broken and he's looking up to me saying, I just need forgiveness. Oh, he's justified. Heaven is singing over that brother. No one else even notices him. Church is just going on as usual up here. And glory is happening in the back. Isn't that awesome? (coughs) I thought about this. And maybe some of you walk in here this morning. And and you are. You are. You have been in some sinful, just mucky stuff this week. Maybe more than this week. Maybe for a while. The fact that I'm even saying this in this room right now makes you looking for the door. Whoa. You're so convicted and you're so broken by it. You're trying to hide it because you don't know what to do with it. What if I told you, what if I told you that in this very moment you could send, you could send heaven soaring into song? Say how? You say I, I, I would want to do that. How? How do I do that? What do I got to do? Pay him back? Clean myself up? Make a pledge? What this text says? You, you got to do this. You lower your head. You hold out an empty hand, and you muster whatever strength you have. Say, I am sorry. Forgive me. And heaven starts singing, you guys. It is not, it is not over the externally righteous, over the the externally clean, that the angels rejoice with kind of vibrant joy. What do we see? What do we see in in, in Luke 15? In those parables there, a number of them end this way. I'll just read you verse 10. It says this, it's not over the externally righteous, but here it is, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You got a broken heart? You want to be forgiven? Heaven is just erupting into song. Little, small things. It's a person on their face. God's leaning and saying, that's huge kingdom work going on there. Huge heaven breaking in. I'll give you one more (coughs) example. It's not the rich 
that come into the temple with pomp and pride and they deliver their magnificent donations. It's not these guys that add anything to the treasury of heaven at all. <laughs> you remember these guys? You know, one of the parables Jesus tells, tells them? I mean, they're coming in and they're putting in these big massive gifts. And the, and the disciples are watching saying, Okay, those, those are the big players. Those are the guys that are doing, they're doing kingdom work. This is God's stuff going on here. He said, no, 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 hold on. It's not those guys that are adding anything to the treasury of heaven. I want you to watch. I want you to watch. You see that poor widow? You see the two pennies she just dropped in there? He said, listen, those two pennies given in humble faith. That just broke the scales of heaven. The other stuff's like feathers. God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. And when He sees the two pennies drop from a heart that loves Him, He said, I am rich now. That's what I want. That's where the glory is. That's heaven breaking in. It's Luke 21, 1 through 4, where Jesus is going through that in case you didn't know. Apply this one to us. Maybe when, I thought about this, I mean, San Jose is, is, Bay Area is crazy. Maybe when the offering bags come around, I mean, some of us just want to hang our head in shame, right? Like, oh. I like, you know, there are people at this church that, that work at Apple and Google and high power tech companies and all these other things. I can barely, I can barely afford my, my, you know, one bedroom, two bedroom apartment rent. And so you kind of pull that move where, where you, <laughs> have you ever done this? I've done this. You pull that move, you like, you fold the bills. So that, you know, no one can tell how many are actually there. And you put the big bill out on front just in case somebody's seeing. You're just trying to hide. You just feel ashamed with how little you have to give. With how little you get to put in. All these big players around. And here I am putting in a couple pennies. And I'm going to tell you something. What, what this kingdom principle, the incarnation principle, what these values start to tell us, what God is trying to communicate is... If Tim Cook himself were to walk in here, write a check, Mercy Hill, one billion dollars, drop it in. The five bucks offered by the dude in the back from a heart of faith towards him and love for his mission, his people, worth infinitely more to God than that. Two pennies, kingdom work. You understand? Heaven singing over those moments. Our values are different. We are not the same. And the incarnation sets this up. The kingdom starts small, but in the end, it's shown to be huge. And these little things are massive. God is at work in such significant ways, and we often don't even see it. <clears throat> so we continually need to hear, I think, the, ange the angelic choir on this. I really do. 
I think if I'm, I don't think I'm alone here. Our, our, our recalibrated kingdom values are always kind of migrating back towards kind of the default mode of the flesh in the world. But cars, it's hard because we're not seeing with our natural eyes. We're seeing through to the eternal things, the abiding things, things that cannot be seen, but by the Spirit. And so, so we're constantly in need of hearing the angelic choir singing over small, insignificant, seemingly, moments. I don't know about you, but I talk a lot about doing big things for God, and I want to do big things for God. And I forget that sometimes the biggest things in His eyes seem like the smallest things to everyone else's. And we don't want to forget that. We need to hear heaven singing over us in our mundane and oftentimes menial tasks. It might feel small to you to change a diaper. It feels it's just a waste of my life. It might feel small to you to get on your knees and confess your sin. Like, this is not enough. God's not pleased with this. I've said sorry seven times, 77 times. Try to recall something there for you. Remember, he's going to continue to forgive you. Anyway, these things seem small, dropping in my two pennies. I want you to hear heaven singing over you in those moments. When those things are done, with a humble, broken, lowly heart of faith, for him, love for others, (laughs) heaven broke in. All right. Question number two. Let me get a little bit of uh, water here. What does the angelic choir sing? What are they singing about? <coughs> what are they all worked up about? We already looked at the uh, the basic structure of their song and, and the, the kind of parallelism and the way that they put in lyrical form that what the, what's happening in the incarnation. But now I want to look at the content a little more closely. Um, in particular, I want to ask this question. If God is, is to be glorified, glorified in his dwelling place in heaven for what he's doing with man down here on earth, what exactly is he doing? What exactly is going on down here on earth? Why are the angels singing so much? What's happening down here in particular? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, what do we see when we start to read? First thing that comes to our attention is peace, right? Because you see it, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace, peace. Now, I think we do well to recognize that the peace referred to here um, is more than what we often think of when we kind of talk about it, common idiom, the way we commonly think about peace. We often, a lot of us, or a lot of this world often talks about peace along these kind of lines, like like a psychological state, an emotional state, an internal kind of thing um, that's perhaps related to what's going on, oftentimes usually is related to kind of circumstances in our lives. So we kind of got this inside, outside dynamic going, and what this is why we'll talk about it kind of like like this. Like, oh, do you remember when we were just like sitting sitting by the ocean, you know, watching the sunset? I felt so at peace. 
Or, you know, you think about it like when you're holding the, the hand of, of your loved one on just like an awesome date, you know, and, and there have been no arguments, and, and you've just been enjoying it. It's like, this is, well, I mean, peace. I just feel so at peace, you know. You just keep rolling through. Some of us probably feel peace when we cash that check at the bank. You know, okay, we can make it through another month. I now feel at <coughs> peace. But this isn't, this isn't the fullness of the peace that this child, the Prince of Peace, has come in to bring. It's not the fullness of it. Now, don't misunderstand me. Christ came that we would have peace inside and out. He did. He wants peace. <laughs> He's going to work for peace. I mean, the lion's going to lay down with the lamb outside of us. He's going to work for peace on the inside of man. He wants that peace that guards our hearts and minds. Philippians 4, I think. He's into that. But he's just aiming for a more fuller expression, a more lasting expression, an eternal experience of peace. Remember what he says in John. Peace I give to you, but it's not like the world. Not like the world. What you get here... And we can attest to this. The peace we often get here, what happens with it? feels like it just leaks. feels like our peace is just kind of always leaking. Anybody experience that? I feel it. And what happens? What happens is we kind of go through life and we have this leaking peace. What's kind of left in its place is this low-grade panic. Like, how come the peace is always going? Where's it going? How come things just don't kind of work out and I feel this steady sense of peace? What do I got to do? Why is it just kind of drip, drip, dripping out? And so we go to, I need another vacation. I need another glass of wine. I need need a better job with more money. I need... And we keep trying to fill, trying to get that peace. And it, the more we fill, it's as if the more it leaks out. And the more it leaks out, the more panicked we feel that we're never going to find lasting, full peace. The Prince of Peace comes, you gotta love this, for a panicked people. A people that have seen their peace leaking, but have not been quite sure how to fix it. I don't know what to do. In this angelic song, what they're singing to us about, saying, look to this child. It's an invitation. Don't miss this child. It doesn't seem like a big solution to you. I know that. It doesn't seem like the, the answer to your leaking peace, but I am telling you, don't miss him. He's the one. He's the one who knows how to get to the source of the leak. Fix it. Make it right. So we do. We start to follow Him, right? We start to follow Jesus. We listen to the angels here. We go, okay, let's follow this, this child. And we follow Him from, from Bethlehem to Galilee. And then in about Luke 9, there's this significant turn where He sets His eyes on Jerusalem. And we follow Him to Jerusalem. This Prince of Peace is going to lead us, as Zechariah saying back in chapter 1, into the way of peace. We're following Him now. 
We're watching Him. And as He stands on the threshold of the city, the holy city, Jerusalem, where we marvel at what He says in between sobs over these people. Do you remember this in Luke uh, 19.42? He says this, Would that you, Jerusalem, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. Nobody thought He was the solution. Nobody thought He was the answer to the leak in their peace. They wouldn't get it. At least not in the right way, they didn't think. They wouldn't get it. And he's like, in between sobs, I wish you, I wish you got it. What I'm going to do here in this city is for your peace. We don't get it at this point as we're falling. What is he talking about? We're walking with the disciples. What is this? But we still have that angelic choir and their song echoing in our ears. So we walk with him now from Bethlehem, Galilee, Jerusalem, to Calvary. And as we watch, as we watch the Son of God, the the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, put to death there on the tree, God be gracious to us, it all becomes clear. Now we start to see, okay, wait a minute. He's going to the source of the leak. Our leaking peace, our panic, it's not because we don't have enough comfort. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough things of this world. It's because we don't have peace with God. The one to whom we and all of this world belongs. And so long as there is a fracture there in that relationship, there will be this kind of spider web fracture in every other part of our lives. And nothing will fill, nothing will satisfy, nothing will bring peace in a lasting way. We start to see, I think he's going to the source of the problem. Like I prayed at the beginning, wrath of God against my sin. That's the problem. And he's bringing peace there. And if He brings peace there, I can have peace everywhere. Paul in Colossians 1, 19-20 sets this peace up as the goal of Christ's entire life. And this is what he says. For in Him, Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, pause for a second. In Him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What is that? Incarnation. God coming in to man. What was the point of this move, this incarnation move there in Bethlehem? What was the point? Paul tells us, verse 20, And through Him, Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth, 
or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Do you hear that? Incarnation, fullness of God coming into man. Why? Reconciliation of all things. Peace by the blood. Crucifixion. It's all headed to this moment. That's why when He's born, the song is peace on earth. Because He's bringing peace to the place we need it most by His blood. Paying for my sins. Dying in my place. Taking that blood to the heavenly tabernacle. Offering it there in God's presence. I am now free from sin. And I have a high priest living to make intercession for me. How, how can peace start to leak out now and panic start to set in if I know He is over me and He is for me And if He's for me, (laughs) who can be against me? It's hard, believe me. We're still battling because, like I said, our our values, our our heart, it still kind of goes back to the other stuff. We've got to keep going. Let me tell you, the blood, the blood of Christ, doesn't just kind of answer our panic at the beginning of our Christian lives, you know, like, okay, whew, I got this little, this little, you know, cortisone shot of grace. I'm feeling good, but, ooh, you know, now I'm five years in. I'm a little, my joints hurt, and where do I go now? The blood of Christ doesn't just answer our panic back at the beginning. It is the all-sufficient answer through to the very end. So we keep going back, we keep going back, we keep going back to the cross saying, listen, that blood is going to speak a better word than any of these waves, than any of this stuff. Because again, if He's for me, everything is for me. You could put it that way. Now, we're going to close with a final discussion on the last part of, of this song. Because if we read carefully, what we notice is that this peace is not indiscriminately applied to all men. You're going to have to hear me on this. If you have questions, we can talk afterwards. So I'm going to go quicker. But we notice this peace is not indiscriminately applied to all men. What does it say? What do the angels sing? They say this. On earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. The idea there in the Greek is that those who are objects of His favor, objects of God's good pleasure, will receive this peace. And the question is, how do I, I mean, this ought to be the burning question, how do I become one of those, those, those people in whom God delights, in whom God takes pleasure, and for whom therefore there is peace. Now certainly, we've already established just a second ago, a person must come to Jesus if he wants this peace. But I think now we're actually taking a step behind that. And we're we're asking, how does one even get into Jesus in the first place? 
I mean, how does fallen, natural, blind, dead man even see something glorious in this little baby in the first place? The answer these angels give us is staggering because they don't point. They don't point to man's wisdom. They don't point to man's uh, intellect, his strength, his initiative. They don't even point to his faith. You might not see it as clearly yet, but I'll show you. They're pointing to God's sovereign grace. Now, I'm not pulling this out of thin air because it matches a larger system of doctrine that I have. I, I really do believe that what's in view here is, and it's sometimes a troubling word for people, election. The sovereign mercy of God whereby He awakens dead sinners to see in Christ the beauty of God, the glory of God, and applies the benefits of His accomplishments to them. I'll show you what, where this is. Um, first of all, I think we certainly see this idea implied in the narrative of our text itself. Because you have to just step back and go, wait a minute. God could have announced, sent these angels to anyone. Or everyone. Right? He could have. Maybe we would say, he should have. He didn't. He sent it to these shepherds on a hillside. That's where they went. That's where these angels showed up in glory. Why? I think because these men here kind of represent what this song is about. They represent these ones on whom God takes pleasure. And by His sovereign grace, you, I'm going to show you, lowly little shepherds, I'm going to reveal myself to you. You're going to see, you're going to see the glory of this Son. He didn't show up to Herod, didn't show up to the leaders, showed up to the shepherds. They represent these kinds of people upon whom God has favor, in whom God takes pleasure, just by His grace. But there's even more we could do. <clears throat> because when we do a simple word study in Luke of the Greek word that's translated pleased here in our text, it almost always throws us into the context of sovereign grace. It's amazing. You got to hear this. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna close by reading you a few of these texts. <laughs> Here's one in Luke 21 to 22. Luke 10 21 and 22. In that same hour, he Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden." This is hard, guys. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. There's our word in the Greek. Your good pleasure. Such was your good pleasure. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Are you hearing this? The good pleasure of God in making Himself known, not to the wise and the self-righteous and the proud, but the little children, 
the lowly, the broken, the shepherds. Same kind of concept. God making himself known. God taking pleasure. Not because anything in us, anything in the shepherds, anything in the children, but because they above any would magnify his grace because they know it's not them. Or Luke 12, 32. This is what we have. (coughs) Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's, here's our word, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You catch this? Again, it's, it's the father giving his kingdom to those for whatever reason, he takes pleasure in giving it to. And what we always find is that it's these little people. It's the little flock here. It's the little children. It's the little shepherds back in our text. And God is just coming in to little old Mercy Hill. And he has chosen by his grace to pluck sinners from the grave. Open our eyes. And show us the beauty of His Son. And apply the benefits of Christ to us that we might see, believe, and have His eternal and abiding peace. And if there be any doubt, (coughs) this is the last one I want to read to you. And it comes from Ephesians 1. We're going to Paul here for this because our word shows up twice here. And it's so profound. It actually wraps the whole sermon together. <clears throat> this is Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 10. Paul says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. How did He do it? Why did He do it? According to the purpose of His will. It helps to know Greek. I'm sorry, you guys. There it is. According to the purpose of His good pleasure. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, or of our trespasses, I'm sorry, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to, again, what? His, here it's translated purpose, but it's good pleasure. (laughs) All of this is happening according to His good pleasure, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, things on the earth. You see how this just kind of walked us actually back up through our sermon through everything I just said, Paul just walked us right back up through it. Let me show you. We began with the idea of, or, or he begins here with the idea of, of us being chosen in him before the foundation of the world, predestined for adoption. 
And all of this, why? Because of his good pleasure. That's where we just came out of with that song. We can't explain it. We don't know why. There's nothing to commend ourselves. We're deserving of wrath. He is gracious. He is sovereign. He has brought us into the Son. And then, because of that, Paul would say, we have experienced the benefits, right? We talked about experiencing the benefits of the Son and this union with Him, peace with God. Here, it's put in this way. We have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses. His payment paid for me, and now I have peace. And all of this, as Paul works down, we work back up to where we started at the beginning. All of this is for the ultimate goal of the merging of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth coming together. A plan, Paul says, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on the earth. That's what's happening. Bethlehem. With this little baby, heaven and earth coming together, peace for his people, and God calling his people graciously to the Son. I'll tell you, John 6, Jesus says, no one can come to the Son, no one can come to me unless the Father's drawing. We can worry about all the ins and outs of the, how sovereignty works with free will. And all. It's tough. But all I can say is, if you are being drawn to the Son, come. The Father is calling. Experience in Him. Receive in Him your peace on earth. Your peace everlasting. And that taste of heaven. Let's pray. God, You are merciful to us. What this tells us is that our peace, our salvation, even our faith has something beneath it. Namely, your good pleasure. Your sovereign grace. It tells us that even if I were to try to jump out of your hand, you would catch me. That you are working harder for our peace than we are. That you care more about heaven coming to earth than we do. And that you're making sure it will happen, not just in the universe, but in our lives. Thank you that we are wrapped, that we are enveloped by your sovereign grace from beginning to end, chosen from the foundation, from before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless, presented before you at the end. All glory and honor and praise. To Jesus, we join the angels now. Amen.